In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, are you going through tough times? Have you been knocked down? and you're struggling to get back up again, or maybe you're wondering if you've got what it takes when life punches you in the guts. Do you have what it takes to get back up again? If you're wondering if you have what it takes, or if you're a guy right now who's down, and man, the count is like seven, eight, and you're like, can I get up again? Do I have what it takes? You are going to be inspired by today's podcast. This story is so inspiring. There's actually a Netflix documentary made about this man called The Seven Yards. You are not going to believe this incredible story and how it will inspire and encourage you to get back up in the game. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. I'm Jim Ramos, your host and guide, leading you to your best version in and out of the stress bubble. So guys, want to jump right into our man laws. And this man law comes from a friend of mine, Jeff Van Dyke. And he said this, and you know, it's funny. I experienced this this week. We had a guy come to our house for the uh, dishwasher delivery put a new dishwasher in and i walked out there and i felt really awkward i just knew i'd broken a man law and here's jeff's man law never leave the house in your pajamas and so those red and black checkered pajamas i was wearing they were a little bit awkward and i knew i knew that i'd violated jeff van dyke's man law Hey guys, uh, this week's hero story comes from one of our women in the arena. We have uh, many, many wives listening to our show uh, and are engaged in our audience, whether that be on the social media platforms or through our podcast. This one comes from Lydia and she wrote a poem and this poem went viral. So I want to read you her poem, her perspective of what an arena woman looks like. Here it is. He's in the arena. She's in his corner. No matter how many times he turns and looks back, she will always be there. She can't fight for him, but she's present at each match. When he's down for the count, she looks him in the eye and reminds him what he's fighting for. Her support inspires him. He was once on his own, but now he can return to her at the end of each round. When his eye is swollen shut, she does what is needed to help him see. She makes the cut, and although it's messy and painful, It's always for his best. He knows she has what it takes to love him when it hurts. With just one touch, he's ready to go to keep on fighting. She knows he's tired and weary, but she cheers him on and he endures. He swings. He misses. He gets hit. He gets knocked down. But he always rises again. She can't intervene. She's not supposed to come to his rescue. Her place is on the sidelines. But when the fighting's done, he comes to her. She is his refuge. She's where he finds rest. She helps him recover. She tends to his wounds. She motivates him to keep training. He prepares for the next fight. He conditions himself to face the discomfort. He encounters the violence so she doesn't have to. 
He protects her from the hooks and blows. Because of what he faces, she is safe. In the end, they go home together with a shoulder to lean on and arms to embrace. Man, whoo, that was hard to get through. Oh, man, that was awesome. Hey, guys, hit us up or gals. Hit us up at info at org with your hero stories. And uh, if we use yours like today and you hit us back up with your physical address, we will send you some swag just to say thank you for contributing your hero story to this great cause. Hey, guys, thanks for making the Men in the Arena podcast Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. Guys, I'm super excited, as you already know, to bring our guest on today, Chris Norton. After suffering a spinal cord injury while playing college football, Chris lost all the feeling and movement in his, from his neck down. Given a 3% chance to ever walk again, Chris could have let that define him. He could have thrown in the towel. But with the support of his friends and loved ones, Chris proved the doctors wrong, and his walk across the stage at college graduation went viral. So viral, in fact, that a documentary was made about him called Seven Yards, The Chris Norton Story, which I just watched on Netflix. It is awesome. It's also on Amazon Prime and Apple TV. Chris now speaks across the country, inspiring people from all walks of life. So, Chris, it's great to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thank you, Jim, for having me on here. It's always an honor and a privilege to use the pain, the things I've gone through for a purpose. Yeah, and and I'll tell you what, I, I think you're my first ever interview who's like a movie star. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't feel like a movie star at all, but uh, it, it is pretty neat to to have that opportunity to reach people through television. I mean, it's always, I've been a motivational speaker. So on the stage all the time, all across the world, and then also through books, but to do it now through uh, people's couches and family rooms, bedrooms, it's pretty neat. Well, I'll tell you what, um, being a college football player myself, I knew it was coming when, when, you know, it started off with this uh, kickoff. I just knew it was coming because I didn't know your story. And so why don't you, why don't you tell us about that day? What was going on? Uh, tell us about your, uh, the school that you were at. Tell us all of the stuff leading up to that event. Yeah, I was an 18 year old freshman at Luther college. It's a small division three school in Northeast Iowa. I came in with, you know, big hopes and plans for my life. You know, I was gonna be this all American football player, meet the girl my dreams then make enough money to own a lake house or better yet the girl my dreams family already owns a lake house oh yeah (laughs) but as the old saying goes life happens to you while you're off making other plans and as i was going through school i just loved it i was making so many friends just enjoying life i I was i felt like on top of the world i was playing more than any freshman in my class really starting to earn the respect from everybody on the team that um, I'm a player right? and hopefully it was going to earn a starting role there maybe towards the end of the season. Well, in the third quarter of the sixth game of the season, it's a beautiful fall day. You have the leaves and the trees changing colors, partly cloudy, low 60s. You can't ask for better football weather than today. And so you think nothing bad can happen on this just beautiful day. Well, I get out in the field for the kickoff. The kicker hustles what's up. He calls a play. Mortar kick right, which simply is a short, high-arching kick to the right side of the field. Now, I don't know why we didn't just call it kick right, because our kicker was so bad, every kick was short and high-arching. <laughs> Everyone was a pooch kick. Yeah. Anyway, I'm pumped because I play on the right side of the field. So this is my opportunity to make an impact. I line up. The ball's kicked. I sprint down the field as hard as I possibly can go. I see an opening for me. My instincts are telling me that ball carrier, he's going to try running through that gap. I'm going to stop. I'm going to drive my shoulders so hard through his legs. He's going to drop the ball. And leading up to this, like in high school, I was voted hardest hitter on my team all four years of high school and not one concussion. I, I never had any concussions. I've never been a, a dirty head hunting player. I just knew how to use leverage, get low and blow people up with my shoulder. Well, this guy's huge who caught the ball. He's like a, a fullback linebacker, middle linebacker type of build. And I knew I had to go 
low to take him out. And so I, I dive for his legs, but I missed time my tackle by a split second. I missed time his speed compared to mine. And then you kind of lose him in, in the, the pile and the blockers where my head collided right with his legs instead of my shoulder. And the next thing I know, I'm lying there face down, motionless. I'm completely conscious. I'm listening to the sound of players crashing to each other above me. The whistle blows. The pile clears off. But I can't move. Mm. No matter how hard I try to push off the ground, nothing is working. It. I'm telling myself too, like Chris, get up. Like they're gonna stop the game for you. Like this will be embarrassing. That was like one of my worst fears is having the game stop for me. I, I'm. I want to be a tough guy. I'm. I'm gonna somehow get to the sidelines at least before you know asking for some help if I can help it. Well, nothing's working. It feels like someone flipped the power off to my body. Wow. And what I didn't realize it was a severe spinal cord injury. My life would be completely changed from that point forward. So you suffered a a dislocation between the C two and C three. Is that right? Well, I fractured uh, my C two, C three, C four vertebrae, and I had a dislocation that was so severe that it punctured into my spinal cord. Oh gosh! So at what point? You're on the field. The game has stopped. At what point do you realize this is going to be a game or a life-altering event? It took a little bit. So at first, I'm telling myself, okay, it's going to be fine. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. You know, Bad things happen to other people. It happens to someone that you read about in the newspaper or you watch on television. Or maybe it's someone on your podcast. But you know, there's yeah. no way something bad can happen to me. I'm I felt like I was invincible. Kid from small town Iowa, you know, it's bad things happen to others. Yeah, for and sure. Going through, you know, asking me questions. Like, Chris, can you try making a fist with your hand? I tried making a fist. Nothing's happening. Chris, can you feel this touching your legs? I still can't feel a thing. They roll me onto my back carefully. I make eye contact with the first person that I see directly at my feet. It was a student athletic trainer. And I could see in her, her eyes, she was terrified. But again, I'm, I'm brushing it off. I'm like, okay, you know, she's a student. Uh, maybe this is a little overwhelming for her. It's going to be fine. And this is probably a bad stinger. I've had bad stingers before yeah. um, where, you know, your body goes completely numb for a little bit and tingling sensation. Then it comes back and you're fine. Well, I'm just waiting for it to come back. But time just keeps on ticking. Mm. Oh, no changes to my movement or my sensation. Then I hear the paramedics redoing for a helicopter. That's the moment when I knew, okay, this is bad. It's so bad that the local hospital wouldn't even be fit to take care of me. Oh, wow. At that point, I, I close my eyes, I pray, and just, God, please give me the strength to just walk off the field. I just want to be a normal college kid. I was living, I felt like my best life ever. I was, I was on mm -hmm. a all-time high. Like, whatever you do, please do not change this for me. I will give up sports. Like, that was my bargain. Like, I will give up all sports. For the rest of my life, if you could just give me the ability to walk and let me get back to how things were kind of work before. But I just, the idea of leaving school and not being a walk was just so overwhelming. I was doing anything I could to try to calm myself down. But little did I know, God had a bigger plan for me than the plan I had for myself. Eventually, I'm loaded onto the stretcher. And that's when they take me off the field and I'm flown to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota for emergency surgery. Oh man. So you said you prayed. So is Luther, I, I don't want to assume anything here. Is Luther like, a, is it a Christian college? 
It's yeah, it's Lutheran. Okay. But it's pretty affiliated. It's a you know, pretty liberal school though. But yeah, okay. it's Martin Luther. So where so you prayed, what where at this point in your journey, where were you in your relationship with God? How, where were you spiritually? You're an 18 year old kid, you're on top of the world. I mean, I can only assume certain things, but where were you at this moment? Uh, faith for me was something, uh, it's like a break glass in case of emergency. Yeah, totally. Kind of yeah. It was one of those things where I believed in God out of faith, but it wasn't something that I thought about or lived out daily. It was one of those times, one of those things where uh, God, I really need you. So I'm going to pray this night. Or I'm going to pray at this moment or there's someone needs prayers for me. So I'll, I'll, I'll pray for him, but it was not something that was truly part of my identity, even if I might have said it was at this point. Thankfully, my parents would drag me to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school, did the fellowship for Christian athletes. So it's always was there and I had a, that foundation. So thankfully, I was able to fall onto that and lean into that because I was so used to doing everything myself. Oh, totally. Like, I can do this. Like I, I got this God. Like I don't, I don't need you. And all of a sudden, I'm in a situation. It's like, oh my gosh, God, I need you so badly right now. I have no idea what to do. What, what my life is going to look like. That's when I, you know, I was so dependent on myself, and really, God kind of, um, in a, in a way, showed just how important He is and to, to lean on Him, not your own understanding. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So when I was watching the documentary, I'm always watching like, okay, what, who is this guy? You know, what's his story? What am I, you know, what am I getting? And I instantly knew I was going to love having you on the show. But it, it, it seemed like the documentary, the people that produced the documentary were really trying to shy away from faith a little bit. Like I could tell. I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. I could tell your parents were solid Christian people. That's how it came across to me. Like they're saying things that I was decoding as Christian. Is that a right assessment? Yeah, absolutely. They're uh, Christians and actually the the filmmakers is actually a Christian group. Oh, but wow. They, okay. They wanted to, they wanted to make sure that the goal was let's try to, be a light in the world. Let's try to inspire people. Totally. Have faith in it without it being, uh, let's try to meet people where they are and try to get onto places like Netflix so that you can yep. reach a soul that might turn away from something that has maybe comes out too strong, I guess. Well, my- but I mean, I loved it because I thought, okay, there's enough here that a believer can say and see that this is a Christian documentary without being over the top but i'm i'm wanting to we have a lot of guys right now chris that are really struggling I, i've got i got an email yesterday from a guy he's uh he's got strange stage four cancer and we've got a lot of guys that are that are fight literally fighting for their lives like you were that day on the helicopter ride and so i think that your story can really inspire these guys uh to get up after being knocked down as you look back so that was in 2010 so that was 12 years ago as you look back on your faith then versus now, how has this injury changed your your faith and positively? There's so many different ways <laughs> changed. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll start off with first. I started to recognize the little blessings, mm. like when you start when you get taken away where you can't feed yourself. You can't scratch an itch on your face. Mm. If you want a drink of water, you, you got to ask someone for a drink of water. You can't even use the restroom on your own. Like there was, like I got stripped away from everything. I felt like, like an 18-year-old newborn baby in a way mm. that can communicate. And it was so, at times, humiliating. But yet, humbling too at the, the same time and it really helped me to recognize nothing obviously there was time where i felt sorry for myself don't get me wrong but it, it taught me to appreciate what is most important in life and 
what I found was so valuable is relationships. You're having a faith to fall onto, to have friends in a community that would step up to be there for you, to let you know that you're not alone. And I started to recognize that of how, wow, I can't imagine going through this without family or friends. So I think, so my faith, I really started to just give thanks. Seeing mm. a little bit of progress that I did receive, I would also give thanks while also fighting the, the demons of the past and what could have been, what should have been. Like those things are nonstop. Every single day you're going to get bombarded with that. And so I had to really stay present into this. Oh. Get caught up in what's the future going to get lo- look yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. What used to be, right? Because I had to literally grieve my old life because I wanted my old life so bad. Like I was this strong, macho guy, competitive, um, just I felt accomplished in sports. And all of a sudden, I didn't have that anymore. It's like, who was I? You know, who am I now? And so I, I had to really kind of dive deep into, you know, what does that mean? Like, who is, what does it mean to be me? And I realized that what people truly care about too is, they don't care about the accomplishments. They care about who you are as a person. They care yes. about the love that you give and receive. And so I, I started recognizing some more important values of life. And then uh, to add on to the faith question, the thing that faith gave to me as well was the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. This is this is really bad right now, God. You, you tell me you have plans to prosper me to give me a hope and a future and not to harm me, uh, which is, uh, I'm about to, you might have to remind me of the Bible verse on that one, but like, how can that be? Like, this feels like harm. Like, how is this plans to prosper me? I don't understand this at all. And so I had to wrestle with some of those things from scripture that I was told, but I had a choice then. I was like, well, do I, trust in him Mm -hmm. or do i just quit and give up and i decide you know what god i'm gonna trust in you i don't know what you're doing i have no idea what's happening or how anything good can come from this mess but i'm gonna believe and i'm gonna fight like heck trying to get out of this and trying to to get the most of my physical strength back as i can yeah, that was that. That's really powerful, man. So you quoted Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, mm-hmm. and then uh, I know Romans eight twenty eight has to be a verse that you or any guy who's been knocked down is struggling with, and and it says, uh, "For God works all things out for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose." I'm sure you quoted that verse in your head a few times, wondering what good can come out of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, absolutely. so okay, so you're you're in the hospital. What, what impressed me about this documentary, two things impressed me, Chris. One was you're kind of gnarly. I mean, you're kind of like a, you're kind of BA, like your, uh, your mindset is, is probably in the upper 0.001% of fierceness. I was like, this guy is a, this guy's a warrior. I mean, the, the decisions you made and the goals that you set, which we'll talk about the seven yard goal and the graduation goal, but I was really, really, am, and am really, really impressed with how fierce you are. The mm-hmm. second thing that impressed me was, man, I'll tell you what, you had some people, your parents are impressive. Your, your, your wife, I'm like, did you have to cut the horn off her to marry her? I mean, I'm like, is this a unicorn? Where'd this gal come from? Is she really a human? Is she an angel? I mean, I'm like, come on, really? And then, um, and then the second, the third thing is your buddies. I'm like, Really? I mean, these guys, nah, come on. The guys are, I mean, I mean, you had some bros that were like, I mean, these guys are impressive. So tell me about how vital it is when a man gets knocked down to have key relationships built into the fabric of his life before a tragedy ever hits. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I did have some established relationships that, Thankfully, I had some some pretty strong ones that I could lean on when, mm-hmm. you know, stuff hit the fan. 
so I, it's very important. I think it's what helped me even before my injury, then after my injury, even it really exploded it. I was pretty vulnerable. Yeah. I was, I was okay with, I, I was a tough guy. I felt like I, I, you know, I'll figure it out. I'm independent, but when there's something bothering me and I, and I felt upset about something, I wasn't afraid to, to share that. And I think that led to some pretty deep relationships and, and connections early yeah. on. Well, I, I wasn't afraid to just be myself. I wasn't trying to be anybody else, but, but Chris. And I think uh, that, I mean, we all like to be genuine and authentic the, as much as we can. I think that helped lead to some good relationships. But then also afterwards, like after my injury, a lot of my friends, I, I didn't even really know them before my yeah. injury. Like, like the guys who, that you're referring to these, they, they stepped up to be my caregivers. They would even sleep with me at night because I needed someone to help adjust my arms, legs, or blankets when my body would have these uncontrollable muscle spasms. So I had a bunch of people step up and I'm just like forever grateful for that. And my injury really, again, like I said, took another level to vulnerability of like, Hey man, I need help. I need you to help change my shirt. I need you to help, you know, with this. And they were willing to step up to the call. They, they knew I was in need. I did my best to be appreciative as much as I can. So I think that's another thing too, is uh, acknowledging those relationships to help deepen them and to, to be there for one another and, and really verbalize what they mean to you. And because people I found if they don't feel like they're being appreciated, that no matter what you need, they don't want to help because mm-hmm. it feels good to be appreciated. So that was something I learned as I went, you know, the more I made sure how much I love these guys and how much I appreciate them, the more they would even step up and do things that I didn't even ask for. So Chris, are these guys, so you're a freshman. Are you a true freshman? Yeah, I'm a true freshman. So you, I knew him for eight weeks before my injury. That's I'm trying to do the math going, these aren't high school buddies. These are guys that you'd known less than two months and you'd already developed this relationship. And, you know, a lot of the guys listening to the show, Chris, struggle to form deep relationships. How are you able to get so, I mean, I know the injury really caused things to exponentially explode when it comes to like intimacy and your buddies joked about how many guys slept with Chris, you know, type of thing. But, but what did you do to pave the way for that to happen? Cause you had set the stage, not knowing this would ever happen. Yeah. I, I think it's given people opportunities to help, right? Uh-huh. I think we're, we want to do everything ourselves and especially I think more so with guys like, Oh, I'll do it. Like I'll take care of this. I don't need anybody. Yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out. And I was in a way kind of like that at times, but uh, I, when it, you know, it t- came time when I needed help, I was going to ask for it. And so I think for any guy listening, I know we all want to do everything ourselves and it's okay to, to ask for help. And honestly, by giving people the opportunity to help is really enriching for them. Absolutely. Like, you're giving them something so uh, i'll tell you so i had a a wedding for one of my best friends we're all there uh after the the reunion talking reminiscing about college i remember telling him like guys i i just don't know how i can ever thank you Mm. or pay you back for what you guys give gave me during the four years of college like i like i had a pretty normal college experience thanks to them they would you know get me up in the morning or put me to bed. And on the weekends, when we would go out, they would all split responsibilities. They would be brushing my teeth and fixing up my hair with gel, changing my outfits. They'd even pop zits on my face. Like, they were <laughs> incredible. Oh, they're man. Oh, team. man. <laughs> they're the worst grooming team in the world. Yeah, but, yeah. But I, I love them. They, they would step up. They would go out of their way. To help me, even when it was inconvenient, that's when you really know too. When a friend will go out of their way and inconvenience themselves because they want to be there for you, that's that's a good friend. Because I had a lot of friends who would help out when it was convenient, and then when it got a little inconvenient, then they kind of drifted away at those moments. But uh, 
we were, I was talking to these guys at this this wedding. And he said, Chris, actually, you don't realize how much you've given us during oh, wow. the period of our lives when we're searching for ourselves and trying to understand who we are and what we're going to do with our lives. And there's so many temptations and selfish endeavors in college, but you made those four years so meaningful and purposeful for us. And by having that opportunity to be there and to, to serve you in that way was something that, you know, they said they'll never forget and something they cherish because they were given the opportunity to help someone in need. And what I found too in my own life is your life is as rich as the lives you enrich. Oh, and that's I good. Believe that. Your life is as rich as the lives you enrich. That's beautiful, man. That's so good. So as I'm pondering and I'm, I'm going through timelines here. So you're injured. I'm assuming it's sometime in mid October, October 16th. Okay. So you're given a 3% chance to ever move again. And if any of our guys, we got hundreds of guys on YouTube, watch this, obviously you're moving around and doing your thing. So it would be easy to become a victim here. And I think your buddies wanted to help you because they realize you're more of a warrior and not a victim, even though you've been, you've been in this traumatic um, experience. Tell us about the doctor, the big toe and Thanksgiving. That's just about a month later, right? Yeah. So you're yeah. talking, you're two months into this and you, you've got, even when you're, and when you're knocked down, you got guys like your parents and your buddies helping you, but you have the negative voices coming in. And, and how did that inspire you to prove them wrong? Can you go through that process? You know what I'm talking about. I do. And actually, I'll do a step further and tell you, because you have two voices, right? Yeah. You got some encouragers. You got people speaking light to you. Then you got the naysayers. And you have to choose who you're going to listen to. Mm. So I want to first talk about, uh, tell a story that will lead into that story of someone who did speak life into me. And it was the fourth night of the hospital stay. It's up late, two in the oh, morning. Oh, yes. I forgot about her. And I'm restless. I'm, I have so many questions. At night was the worst. I hated going to sleep at night because as soon as my room got dark and quiet, that, that's when all my fears mm. came rushing. All the uncertainties of, you know, will I ever go back to school and be with my friends? Will a girl ever want to be with me? Will I ever be a dad and have a family? You know, will I ever be happy in a wheelchair? And most nights I cry myself to sleep and I can't even wipe away the tears from my eyes. And so I'm I'm wrestling with all these thoughts and emotions. This nurse comes in and she comes to my bedside, which was odd because all the nurses before, they just come in, they check my vitals. That's what they have to do every two hours. They check it and make sure it's okay. They leave. Well, she comes to the bedside. She gets down on one knee and she says, Chris, look me in the eyes. And she was kind of mean about it. And I like eyes with her. She's a short, slender woman, short reddish hair, glasses, probably in her 60s. She's got this voice that sounded like she came straight out of a Western movie. <laughs> My name is Georgia. I'm from Wyoming. Do you know anyone from Wyoming? Say no. I'm thinking, where is this going? She says, well, people from Wyoming don't tell lies. And I want you to know you will beat this. You will beat this. I instantly start crying. I needed to hear those words so badly because up to this point, I was questioning whether all the time and effort I was putting into my, my recovery and would it ever pay off? But in this moment, it feels like my faith and hope is completely restored. And so when mm. I start therapy the next day, I can hear those four words mm. echoing in my head. And day by day, I get stronger and stronger. Well, fast forward five weeks, and I'm still in the hospital. I'm you know, able to move my arms a little bit more. I'm regaining sensation throughout my body, but I still can't move anything in my legs. Like that's yeah. all I'm hoping and praying for. I want to move something in my legs. I want to, I want hopefully walk one day when I wake up to a brand new sensation in my left big toe. And it feels like I can feel the crisp, cold air stronger in this spot better than any other part of my body. 
And to me, that's a sign of progress. Something special is happening. And I can't wait to tell my doctor about it later that day after our weekly team meeting called rounds. And rounds involves your entire care team, physical, occupational therapists, nurses, doctors, your social worker. Well, I hate these meetings because they often talk about you as if you're a number on a chart instead of a human being. Mm. Then the worst part for me was when they would list all the devices, medical care and services that you're supposed to need for the rest of your life, as if I was never going to recover from this point forward. And I was getting better every single day. So don't write me off so quickly to get through these meetings. I typically space off and focus on other things. Well, finally, the meeting's over. I brush the negativity off because I have great news for my doctor. And so I ask him to stay behind. I start telling him about the left big toe. And I could tell right away from his body language, he didn't really care. So I asked, well, can you take my shoe and sock off to get a closer look? I know something special is happening. He refuses. He says, Chris, you're experiencing a phantom feeling. And these phantom sensations happen a lot with people with spinal cord injuries because there's changes to their body and what they're what you're experiencing and feeling. And it's easy to trick yourself into thinking those sensations are progress, but they're not. But I knew these feelings were different. It wasn't this phantom feeling. He didn't care. And then the last thing he tells me before he walks out of the room is, Chris, you'll never move anything in your legs ever again. Turns walks out like no big deal in under two minutes this man had ripped through everything i've been working towards day and night to achieve i was devastated thankfully i was with my dad and i consider to be one of the strongest individuals i know i've never seen him cry until this moment and with tears in his eyes he turns to me he says chris do not let anyone mm. determine your outcome but you mm -hmm. I look back and tears in my eyes. I say I never will. And then I hear Georgia's four words. Ah. You will beat this. And this wave of motivation sweeps over me. I become bound and determined. I'm going to go prove that doctor wrong. And not yeah. even a week later, on Thanksgiving morning of all mornings, I wiggle that exact left big toe, that buzzkill doctor, so that I would never <laughs> do it again. Yeah. I'm Home. I was so fired up. I was on a nurse and therapist that day. You go find that doctor, who I like to call Dr. Phantom. You <laughs> and tell him, tell Phantom this, as I wiggle my toe in his face. Fortunately for him that he was gone, which probably worked out for the best, I was really fired up. I oh, for sure. Probably said something I would regret later on. Yeah. But that... That toe wiggle, it became so much more. I started to get strength in my quads, hamstrings, eventually able to stand up with assistance. So it was quite the Thanksgiving day uh, for our family. Yeah, and you kind of messed with your family a little bit, but I'll let them watch the movie to see how yeah. you messed with your family on that day. So in typical Chris Norton fashion. So did you ever see uh, this nurse, Georgia, again? Yeah, so actually... A little over a year ago, I decided I want to track her down. Oh, yeah. To, call her to thank her for what she did for me. And from talking with her about that night, I discovered after all these years, she never said, you will beat this. What? What she actually said was, you will get better. Sometimes we hear what we're feeling at the moment. Yeah. What's most important, though is the love and conviction behind your words. Maya Angelou, she summed it up best when she said, I've learned people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget the way you made them feel. Uh, how she made me feel that night was, you will beat this. And that's how I interpreted those words. And so I was completely blown away when she told me that. And at first when she told me, I was like, oh my gosh, like we've already did the movie, we did the books, I've already had two books, uh, I do my speaking, it's all 
you will beat this. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I feel like a fraud. Like, I was embarrassed when she told me that. I was like, oh, my. But as I've been able to kind of process that and why, how did I interpret it like that? And that's what I came to understand is it was really the conviction, the love behind the words that that's how I took it. And how we all do that in some way or another and how we communicate with one another. So I think it's an important lesson. So did you have any other moments of darkness? Is there a darkest moment that you can reflect on? Almost every night. I, uh, yeah. It, it's hard to put one over the other, but those nights of trying to go to sleep with all my fears and worries, just nothing to deflect them away, nothing to distract myself. Because that's one of the things too, like during the day when that sun came up and it was go time, that's when I felt alive. Like I felt I was progressing towards my goal. And I I could use those distractions to kind of put aside the this fear of not getting my strength back and not being able to go back to school, not being able to have relationships and friendships. So um, I felt empowered when I was working towards the goal and when I would just had to lay there and do nothing I felt hopeless and, and helpless really well you said something twice I want to draw attention to and I think as I was listening to your story and as I've read your bio and I have already said that you're fierce you're a warrior uh that that is an internal that's a beat I told uh speaking at chapel for our football team last week I said Football is not a game played between the lines. It's played between the ears. And clearly you've got that down pat. So you used goals to move you forward. And it seems like when a man is down, when a man's been knocked down, if he doesn't have, even if it's short-term goals, just small, getting small wins under his belt, he's going to be hamstrung, so to speak. Can you talk to us about goals how they helped you and what was, you know, after you got the toe wiggling and you're starting to get your feeling back, you, you, you came up with a, a, I call it a B, a B hag, a big, hairy, audacious goal that, uh, I mean, very few thought you could accomplish. So why don't you walk us through goals and, and what was that goal, uh, after this, after this big toe incident that you decided, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. I set a lot of big goals and, uh, <laughs> For me, what I always had to keep in mind, especially as slow and tedious of a process it was to yeah. recover from a spinal cord injury is your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. Mm. Future will take care of itself when you take care of today. And so I had these goals. I had this future of what I wanted and I was fearful that I may never have it. Instead of using that fear to paralyze me more already, I just focused on one moment at a time. And, and it's something that I think everyone's probably heard one way or another, but when the amount of fear I had to wrestle with, it was paramount that every session I brought just my full attention to and to not worry about anything else, not compare myself to the past or worry about where I'm going in the future is how I, I had to control what I could control, which was my attitude and effort. And so I had to exude as much focus and effort into every little thing I did, just one session at a time, one day at a time. And I knew I just did not want to get, you know, years, a couple of years down the road and look back and think, wow, I wish I would have tried harder. I wish I would have spent less time chilling and hanging out and watching TV and more time working towards my goal. I did not want that, especially when it came to, at the time I thought my, my livelihood, my, the rest of my life, I felt if, you know, I was going to be in a wheelchair that I wasn't going to have this a good life, which mm, I mm -hmm. really don't believe that anymore, but that was the false notion. I was under, so I had this urgency to do everything in my power to get back to as close to as life was before uh although i over time i came to realize that was never going to happen and so that's another thing i think with my goals 
uh, you talked about it. I was I was fierce. I was determined. I had I applied so much effort and focus. But what I think people miss, and I think is one a strength of mine, is your ability to adapt. Yeah. Right. Like when new information comes in, when circumstances changes, when conditions are altered, you need to take that information in. Do not let pride, ego, or stubbornness stop you from making changes. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I said, I'm going to walk out of this hospital on my own power. I'm going to be playing video games with my hands by Xbox, or I'm going to play Xbox by Christmas. And I'm going to be going back to school second semester. And I even told my roommate, hey, I'm not going to be able to sleep in the, the top bunk, unlikely. So I'll have to take your bottom bunk. And this is an unaccessible dorm, but I was determined, like, I'm going to get back. Like, I'm going to put so much time and effort into this. Like, I'm going to beat paralysis by hard work. Well, it doesn't work like that. And honestly, yeah. the goal works like that either. You can't just achieve every single goal just through pure effort. Like, you have to consider, again, information, circumstances, conditions. You must be willing to adapt. And that's what I was willing to do. I was willing to adapt as I gathered new information and I've continued to adapt and adapt to adapt my goals without compromising my effort. Right. That's the biggest thing. People feel changing or adapting is a sign of failure. Well, I don't feel like I'm a failure, although I didn't walk out of the hospital on my own or I was playing Xbox. Like I accepted that this just wasn't in the cards and that's okay. And I hope for any person listening to this, uh, it's okay to have that ironclad will, which you must have. You have to have that determination. Mm -hmm. It's okay to change course. Um, and so don't ruin yourselves or get yourself in a bind just because of ego or pride. You're saying something so powerful and so profound. It's, it's easy to miss. So I just want to articulate it again, because that was so good. That was so powerful. No matter what we do in life, we have to adapt. Here's an example. I'm, a, I'm your parents' age. We are all going to die. Hopefully, we'll die of old age. But if we don't adapt to the aging process in a healthy, positive, winning, tenacious attitude, we're going to be frumpy and grouchy and lazy and die a, a poor death and live a horrible life. And so life itself is about adapting. So your, your case, it really exempl you know, it really um, sped it up because of your situation. But I want to read a quote that, that you had in your bio that I'm saving for the perfect moment. And it's right now. And you said this. And I think this is speaking to ten tenacity and adaptation. You said, but our lives aren't shaped by circumstance. They're shaped by us. Perseverance isn't about the physical act of standing. It's about attitude. It's about the ability to shape yourself in the face of adversity. And I think that's so cool. So let's, so you, at some point you decide I'm going to walk across the stage at graduation. So this is, you know, that's a, a goal that's, uh, you know, that's several years now. You've got to work on that. Can you walk us through uh, that goal and, and how you went through accomplishing that? Yeah, it was one of those goals that I had no idea how it's going to accomplish. I couldn't even walk yeah. without breaking, without a harness system, without multiple therapists. I had people pulling my legs through, but that was the goal. I just kind of projected out there when I, what I found, and especially from this moment and that's what i try to do with all my goals now in life the big ones is i try to manifest it. i speak it into existence because i'm someone when i tell you i'm going to do something i'm going to do everything in my power to do it like i'm not going to just blow smoke for show like if i tell you i'm going to walk across the stage i'm going to try to figure out the best i can and that's exactly what happened is I don't know exactly what's going to happen across that stage. I don't know what my physical strength will look like in the years from now, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make that happen because that's what I committed to. I believe in it. And that's also what I've told other people. And they're going to help me hold me accountable. Accountable. Absolutely. So I, 
I'm a big believer in just sharing your goals and mm-hmm. open up you allowing other people to help you stay accountable for it if it's important enough right the ones that are important enough to me are the ones that I talk about and I often can't help but talk about it because I'm so fired up about it and that's when mm-hmm. I know it's worth it to pursue at just full speed ahead and so that was kind of my my process behind sharing it. and I also wanted to share it because I hope that through the courage that I had to put out this huge goal that maybe they would find their own courage yeah. to go out their goals as well. And I, I was wanting to use my example to, to help others. And that's also kind of the beginning of where I saw the the power of your example and how much you can influence one another. And, uh, and that's also led me to my motivational speaking as well as a, a career. So how did you go about getting across that stage? I, well, one of the things I did too was I finished school a semester early. I moved, uprooted Emily and I. Emily and I met in college and she wanted to come along. And so we, we went to Michigan, which is like a 15 hour drive from where we were to train at a facility where they have worked with a lot of people with spinal cord injuries. And it's a very intensive program. And I wanted just kind of an escape to all I'm going to do for the next six months before my graduation is just train all day long, train hours in the gym, come home, train. And that was no other distractions from friends or family or any social life. It was all training all day long. And and so that really helped prepare me. And I also knew I wanted to, I I couldn't walk completely on my own without someone being there. Uh I got to the point where I could walk with assistance from one person. And I ended up walking better with Emily than any of the therapists I've ever worked with. I knew she had to be the one who was going to help me walk across the stage. Well, then I had the brilliant idea to add even more pressure to this graduation weekend by proposing to her the day before graduation. Yeah. (laughs) 10 times more nervous. For the proposal than the walk in front of a thousand people. Thankfully, though, she said yes. So it all worked out. Otherwise, that next day would have been really awkward. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> but it all worked out. And so graduation day, you know, it finally came. We woke up really early in the morning to give my time body uh, to adjust. And then also a blessing. My body doesn't respond well to extreme temperatures, whether it's heat or cold and when i get really overheated my body um strength really decreases where i'm kind of like uh i think of myself as like a gumby just kind of like uh loosey-goosey and i I don't have much strength to take steps like i i wouldn't be able to walk when under heat it's an outdoor graduation well there was rain and so they moved it inside oh wow gym which was a godsend to have the conditions more controlled and so i wouldn't get overheated because graduation they take hours until you finally get across the stage so that was huge i'm feeling like puking but uh finally i get called i'm extremely nervous and i'm also worried that people are going to boo me off the stage it's already a long graduation right and i'm going to be taking my sweet time <laughs> yeah. I was like fearful that people are going to be checking their watches. Like, okay, man, let's get across. I don't know what exactly this, this goal is of yours, but the opposite occurred. People, you know, erupted in applause. They were cheering me on. They were crying. I was just locked into my steps. And when we finally got to the end and looked up, it was a pretty beautiful moment to see how and much it meant to everybody in that room but then it would go beyond that room because we got videotaped we we shared it online and then it went viral so it was a really special moment for for all of us and to really validate too some of our hard work because there's so many times i i ask myself like what am i doing like why am i working so hard to walk across the stage like this is yeah gonna yeah change my life in some profound way i'm i'm giving up so much time and effort to get across the stage but then all this has come uh, from it opportunities to share my story and um, I'm grateful 
Well, in the video, in the movie, she's walking you across the stage face to face. Right. Mm -hmm. So she's walking you across the stage. You get the diploma. Well, then you're engaged. And then I think it was five years later, you got married, which really the title of the, the movie threw me off a little bit. I thought it was a seven yards in football. Then I saw the graduation. I thought, oh, it's the seven yards of graduation. But it wasn't. The story of you and Emily is really beautiful. And I'm going to challenge our guys to go watch this movie uh, so they can learn more about the story. But tell me about the and the seven the seven yards really was about something different. And and when I noticed the seven yards, you were walking with Emily differently. So you can explain the goal there and how that played out. Yeah. So seven yards came from the seven years since my injury. Oh, and then seven yards is holy number it's three yards further than the graduation walk and then oh. you're right. instead of her walking in front of me which she did for the graduation that gives me by far the most support we decide we're going to walk side by side yeah. and the rest of our lives together and that was oh. a huge challenge too to get my body ready for that lack of support from the front and i could lean on her and from the side i had to do even more words that, you know, triggered another, you know, years of training to even be ready to do that. Yeah. So I'm going to let the guys watch the movie themselves. But so when, when you watch this unfold, you're, you're thinking that, you know, well, this guy's got a long road ahead of him. You know, his, his body has been, uh, you know, severely traumatized. He's got these great goals. He's fierce. And he's, he's got this, a uh, beautiful gal who loves him and who's a servant. Man, they're going to live happily ever after. But here's really where the story kind of begins for me. It, it goes back to this whole attitude that you have about uh, winning and serving and, and being fierce and, and enriching the lives of others. Can you tell us about a decision that you and Emily made about your family and where you are today? This is truly amazing to me. Yeah, we were in our little apartment in Florida when the phone rang and it was from Whitley, a 17-year-old girl who's uh, been in the foster care system since she was young. It's someone that Emily has closely mentored for years. And I could hear through the sobs in the phone. She asked, will you please be my foster parents? No one wants me. And they plan on putting me in juvenile detention until I age out of the system. Oh, my until gosh. I, yeah. For not, have, not committing a crime, just go to juvie. Yeah, because they don't know what to do with her. Um, she, she's gotten in some trouble, but she was getting bouncing from home to home. And, um, they, they were kind of getting to the point where they were just going to lock her up. And so we, we talked about you know, all the challenges that would come with being foster parents to a 17 year old when we were only 23 and 24 years old ourselves, we were only six and seven years older than Whitley. And then we would be her 18th placement. Oh 18th. man. Yeah, but more importantly, though, what we discussed, what would happen to Whitley if we didn't do anything? She didn't have anybody else. She was counting on us. And so we said, yes, we, we brought her in. And our goal for her and her own goal was to graduate high school on time, which wasn't an easy task. But through the eight months that she was with us, she was able to graduate high school right on time. After graduation, she decided she wanted to pursue college and live out on her own which then we decided okay let's have another child in our home to to foster and start out with one which i thought was a sweet spot but emily had other <laughs> ideas emily pushed us to take in two then three then four then five kids eventually is what we got to um and how we got to five is we accepted a sibling placement of four girls yeah they're sisters and there's no way we, we couldn't break them up and so we brought them in and we brought them in actually four months leading up to our wedding. So it's very, very backwards from what, how we planned or anything like that. But you know what? We, we felt called to do it. And so we answered that call. Um, and so that's, so we had all these girls. And so about during that first year of marriage, we knew that Whitley and those four girls belonged with us forever. And we adopted all five of them. Wow. Eventually, uh, welcome in another little boy that we're fostering. 
we adapted him in June of 2021. So we have six kids and then we continue to foster. And we have right now eight kids, uh, seven that are living in the home. Uh, and one of them too, that uh, we just added uh, a little over a week ago, it, she's deaf. And so that's been another layer of um, adjustment of being able to communicate with her and helping her learn how to communicate. So everyone's learning ASL right now, uh, trying to make sure she feels um, welcomed and loved and that she can communicate with us. And she's pretty behind with her language, but we're, we're catching her up. And that is just so impressive, man. Uh, we're getting short on time, but I do want to have you let uh, give us a report. How How's your body? Where is your body? I mean, clearly you guys are staying busy. Holy cow. You got, you got a herd. How's your body doing? Where, where are you at in your uh, healing process, so to speak? Well, I feel healthy. I feel good, but I have not uh, committed the insane hours that I was doing towards my physical therapy. I was doing sometimes four to six hours a day of training. I just, with the new commitments and family and problems, oh, yeah. completely shifted. And I've also come to a place in my life too, where I understand you what happiness is not measured in steps. I know people who can run, jump, and swim who are unhappy. So clearly, you know, happiness doesn't have anything to do with your physical strength or even yep. possession. Yep. It's everything to do with your your mental health, your your mindset, your faith, and and so I've really come to a place where I recognize that. And again, it's you know, my life feels rich because I feel I have the opportunities to enrich others through my speaking, my foundation, my family, and so while I continue to train to maintain strength and, and healthiness. It's not this number one priority kind of thing where, where I'm committing hours and hours to I've, I've there's other things that I love doing. Oh, man, that's, that's just so inspiring. So how can our guys get a hold of your books and your, and if they want you to come out and speak, what's the best way to get a hold of you? I'd say go to my website, chrisnorton.org is a great spot to go where you can learn about my speaking, the books, the my foundation, uh, the movie. Our foundation, we improve the lives of those with physical disabilities. Uh, one of the ways we do that is through a, a wheelchair camp for oh, wow. the, the children who have a physical disability. And because of our sponsors and donors, it's completely free of charge for them to come out for four nights and zip line, horseback ride, uh, laser tag among so many other fun events that we do and we're hoping to we're working to expand that family concept wheelchair concept across the country uh, we have that right now in minnesota and looking to go to different locations keeping it free for more families because oftentimes um, when you have a disability or you have an injury like myself you think the fun's over like mm -hmm. what can you do there's not going to be anything um, exciting and it's just not true. There are things out there. And so we hope to really provide an opportunity where people can feel empowered and to see the possibilities for their lives. So that's one of the things that uh, I'm also working on among others. But yeah, so you can learn all about that through the website and my social media too. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, you, you name it. Oh yeah. Well, you got a new follower last week. His name is Jim Ramos. So uh, yeah. very, very impressive. And so Hey guys, here's your action item for the week. Let's get our boots on the ground here. What do I want you to do because of what you heard from Chris today? And here, simple. This is going to be simple. It's going to be easy. You're going to enjoy it. Get your wife, get your kids, go to Netflix, go to Amazon Prime, go to Apple TV and watch the movie, the documentary, Seven Yards, The Chris Norton Story. I promise you, you will be inspired to charge hell with a squirt gun. Chris, so thank you so much for coming on. What a blessing it is to have you, man. And just so cool to hear about a guy who's uh finds his wealth in this world by enriching the lives of others in spite of what life may do to you. And when life knocks you down, it doesn't knock you out. So thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Man, what a great podcast. Men in the Arena. Guys, head on over to menarena.org. Grab your free copy of my book. Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters while you're at it. 
sign up to join one of our many virtual teams that happen around the country. Just click the join our program button on the homepage. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Get up when life knocks you down and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at menintheArena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.